0: many of you have ever heard of the butterfly effect? Not the movie, not the movie. Some of y'all are like, yeah, I watched that movie. Nope, not what I'm talking about. The butterfly effect. The butterfly effect is a, it's a theory that, that basically talks about the impact of a small thing onto a bigger, uh, bigger thing. So the, the idea is this, that if a, if a butterfly flaps its wings in Africa, could that create a hurricane in the Gulf of Mexico? And so it it talks about how a small little beginning can have a great big impact later on. And so today what I want to talk about is I want to to give you guys a message called The Butterfly Effect. Because I believe that small actions can have big impacts on people's futures. I also, also recognize this. Two things. Number one, I recognize I am not a mother, nor am I a woman. These are good things. These are good things. Um... I'm neither one of those, so you may think, well, what kind of authority do you have to talk about and to mothers today? Um, I will say this, I live with a mother, a very good mother, and um, I have a mother. So these are two areas that that I feel like I've grown up understanding some things about mothers. But the second thing I want to recognize today, and and, and it's not quite as um, jovial or funny, but I want want to recognize the fact that not every woman um, that wants to be a mother is a mother. Listen, we, we come to church on, on Mother's Day, and we talk about moms, and, and there, there, there are women that are hurting in the congregation because they want to be a mom, and they can't be a mom. There are women that may hurt in the congregation because they've chosen not to be a mom, and that's totally fine, too. There, there are some women in, that are hurting w- within the, the congregation today because this may be their first Sunday, their first Mother's Day, without their mom. And so we, we need to recognize that and be sensitive to that fact as well, that not everything's about mom. So, so whenever I talk about Mother's Day or whenever I do something on Father's Day, I typically am going to lean towards spiritual parenting. Okay, I'm going to lean towards being a, a, a spiritual mother or a spiritual father. Because in my life growing up, that was a big part of what shaped me. I had great parents. I still have great parents. They're not dead yet. They're, they're right here. One of them is. Um, And so I have great parents, they're great, but they also didn't, they weren't 100% of what made me. They put me in contact with other people, there were other men and women in my life that helped mold and shape who I am today, because they were spiritual mothers and spiritual fathers to me, spiritual grandmothers and and aunts and uncles and all the things, Um, and so we want to recognize that today. And so I I had that on my brain as I was was, uh, praying about and thinking about this message, and and I came across three women, really four, we'll throw a grandmother in in just a few minutes, but, but, but we'll call it four women in the Bible that had big impact, even though they may not, on the surface and at the beginning, it looked like they did very much. Um, so we're going to talk about these three women, and, and in these three women, they're not necessarily all connected. So don't think that it's going to just have this perfect little flow to it. But my goal today is for you ladies that you would, you would be able to draw something from one of these three women. One of their stories I feel like is going, to, is going to be able to speak to your heart today. And so as you listen to them, be thinking about which one of these God wants to speak into your life through. So the first woman is, is a lady named Naomi. Naomi's story can be found in the book of Ruth in the Old Testament. Um, and Naomi has an interesting story, so I'm going to just read some of her story. I'm going to start in Ruth chapter 1, and as I read through her story, I'm going to skip around a little bit to save us some time, because I know you guys, you fellas, are are cooking lunch today, right? I'm not, but you are. My wife made lunch yesterday and put it in the fridge, so I get to get it out today. I'll throw it in the oven, and I'll pretend like I did something, but we all know I didn't. Um... So I need to give you guys plenty of time to go home and put the food in the oven that your wife made. So Ruth chapter 1, we're going to start at verse 2. And it, it says, the man's name was Elimelech, uh, and his wife was Naomi. Their two sons, Malon and Kilion, uh, they were Ephraimites from Bethlehem in the land of Judah. And they reached, when they reached Moab, they settled there. So these guys are moving. This family is moving. Um, and they're moving to this place called Moab. Then Elimelech died, and Naomi was left with her two sons. So Naomi is a widow. So she's not a, mom, a, a a wife anymore. Now she's a widow. The two sons married Moabite women. One married uh, a woman named Orpah. Uh, fun fact: Orpah is who Oprah, uh, Oprah Winfrey, was named after, and they misspelled her name and turned it into Oprah. Isn't that interesting? You didn't know that. Um, I may have just made that up. So who knows? And the other woman, uh, and the other woman named Ruth. <laughs> Sometimes I make myself laugh and then I can't preach. Uh, where was I? What was I talking about? Ruth, somebody. Um, but, but about 10 years later, both Malon and Kilion died. This left Naomi alone without her two sons or her husband. Naomi uh, left, left them alone without her two sons and husband. Verse 6. Then Naomi heard in Moab that the Lord had blessed his people in Judah by giving them good crops again. So Naomi and her daughters in law got ready to leave Moab and return to their homeland. So just real quickly, recap. Naomi has a husband and two sons. Husband passes away. Sons get married. Ten years later, uh, both sons pass away. Now, it's interesting to me, because as I go through this, the book is called Ruth, but it's really about Naomi. There's a lot of this book that's about Naomi, and so if you ever go back and read Ruth, you're going to see a lot of Naomi in it. Um, But here's what I find interesting. Not only does she... She's not a wife anymore, but now she's not a mom anymore. She's lost her two sons. And so she decides to leave Moab. I'm going back to Judah, going back to, to my homeland. Um, and her daughters-in-law want to go with her. But on the way, Naomi says to her two daughters-in-law, go back to your mother's homes. And so their, their mothers were alive. Go back to your mother's homes. And may the Lord reward you for your kindness to your husbands and to me. May the Lord bless you with the security of another marriage. Then she kissed them goodbye, and they all broke down and wept. Verse 15, so skipping down. Look, Naomi said to her, talking to to Ruth, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her gods. You should do the same. But Ruth replied, don't you ask me to leave you and turn back. Wherever you go, I will go. Wherever you live, I will live. Your people will be my people and your God will be my God. Wherever you die, I will die and there I will be buried. May the Lord punish me severely if I allow anything but death to separate us. When Naomi saw that Ruth was determined to go with her, she said nothing more. So the two of them continued on their journey. When they came to Bethlehem, the entire town was excited at their arrival. Is it really Naomi, the women asked? So I want you to notice something, a couple of things. Number one, Ruth does not want to leave her mother-in-law. Ruth has a mama back in Moab. She's got her own mother, but she is stuck with her mother-in-law. She wants to stay with her mother-in-law. And so as they go back into town... All the city comes out. They're super pumped. They're excited. Look, it's Naomi. She's back. They're, they're, they're wanting to throw a party for her. And look what Naomi says in verse 20. Don't call me Naomi, she rep- responds. Instead, call me Mara. For the, mighty, the Almighty has made my life very bitter. I went away full, but the Lord has brought me home empty. Why call me Naomi when the Lord has caused me to suffer and the Almighty has sent such tragedy upon me? couple of things that the Bible doesn't say there specifically um, is this. The word Naomi, the name Naomi means pleasant. The name Mara means bitter. So when everybody comes out and says, look, it's pleasant. She says, stop calling me that. Call me bitter because I'm discouraged and I'm depressed and God has taken everything away from me. I've got nothing. Right. So. Wow, what a bummer to start out with. Like, this is the worst story to, to start off with, I know. But um, here's the thing that I want you to remember is that even when you feel like you don't have anything, even when you, don't, when you feel like you don't have anything, that God can still use you. Um, there are people that are desperate for what you feel like you don't have. There's still people that are desperate for what you do have. When you feel like you've got nothing to give, and there's going to be some people in the room today that, that, as I preach this message, as I talk about this stuff, you're going to say, well, I'm not a mom. Okay, I don't have kids, so I don't really have anything to offer. Can, can I tell you something? Just because you're not a mom doesn't mean you don't have something to offer. Just because you're not a biological mother doesn't mean that you can't be a spiritual mother to someone else. Ruth had a mother, but there was something about Naomi. She said, I want your God to be my God. There was a spiritual component to Naomi that Ruth craved and desired and said i'm going to stick with you no matter what life and death i'm yours so the first thing i want you to notice today i'm going to give you a couple little points on each woman the first thing the first point i want you to see is that naomi found um, a renewed purpose in helping ruth naomi found a renewed purpose in in ruth chapter 3 this is a very short book only four chapters in ruth chapter 3 verse 1 the bible says this one day naomi said to ruth my daughter First of all, she's calling her daughter. I love that. Not daughter-in-law anymore. My daughter, it's time that I found a permanent home for you so that you will be provided for. Right off the bat, Naomi says, i got to figure out your life for you. Like, I want to help you. I want to set you up with a future and a purpose and a plan. I want to get you a husband and a house. I want to make sure that you're provided for. Naomi found this renewed purpose. She doesn't have a husband anymore to lead her and guide her and help her along the way. She doesn't have kids anymore to provide for, to help, and to mentor. So she, she basically spiritually adopts uh, Ruth and says, I want to do what I can to make sure that your future is secured. And when she does that, she begins to find this renewed purpose and life that she was missing. She's going from being bitter Naomi to all of a sudden having some purpose. She's going from having nothing to having something. And so this is a big thing. And and I just want to tell you ladies today, if you don't have kids today, there's still purpose. Like, Like having a child is not everybody's only purpose. Right? Having a next generation is everybody's purpose. Just because that next generation doesn't come from your womb doesn't mean that it's still not God's plan for you to impact the next generation. And so it's important for you to see that today, that there is a purpose and a plan for your life to make an impact on someone else. The second thing that I want to notice is this, is it's not just about Naomi, it's about Ruth too, that Ruth had to submit to Naomi. She had to submit to Naomi's wisdom. One of the things I I, I struggle with a lot in church as a pastor is I struggle whenever people say, I need help, and then you try to give them help, And whenever you give them some wisdom, they reject the wisdom you try to give them. Have you ever had that happen before? Yeah. Um, I, I don't like it when people say, I need help. But they never ask for help. They never submit themselves underneath someone that can help them. And so it's important. That you notice Ruth, one of the things Ruth did. So backing up to Ruth 16, here's what it said. 16 and 17, I'm going to remind you of this. It says, don't ask me to leave you and turn back. Wherever you go, I will go. Wherever you live, I will live. Your people will be my people and your God will be my God. Wherever you die, I will die. And there I will be buried. May the Lord punish me severely if I allow anything but death to separate us. Ruth was fully submitted to the wisdom Of Naomi, And then in verse 5 of of chapter 3, it says, I will do everything you say. Ruth says, I don't care what you say, Naomi, I'm doing it. Like, you tell me to jump, I'm going to say how high. Like, I'm in 100%. And and I want to just tell you guys today, there are going to be people in your life, there are women in your life that want to speak into your life gentlemen let me tell you something there are women in our lives there are women in this church and in your life that need to have access to speaking to your life now we can get into all the the stuff about are women allowed to speak and authority and all that stuff that's a whole another conversation for a whole another day i'm going to tell you right now biblically women have a right to speak into the life of anybody when i was growing up we had um women in our church i I remember there was a uh there was a lady her and her husband roy lee and mary jackson and, and roy lee and mary served as elders at our church and um and they didn't have kids by choice they never had kids roy lee was a professional baseball player and um and and i don't know why but they never they had dogs they had really big huge monster dogs all the time um, and they treated them like little babies, and it was crazy to see this giant Rottweiler get up in Roy Lee's lap, and he'd just rock him like a baby as wild. But, um, but they had these dogs. But, but here's the thing that, that I always respect about Roy Lee and Mary. They would always, and Mary especially, would speak into my life. Even as an adult, a couple of years ago, we were going through some stuff here at the church, and, and I remember Mary uh, sent me a message on on Facebook and just said, hey, uh, let, let me tell you how to navigate these waters and begin to speak into my life. It's important for us to see that, that, guys, we need to learn how to submit. Ladies, we need to learn how to submit to the wisdom of other people, that people have some wisdom to give us. One of the things we talk about a lot in here is uh, the idea of um, the, there's different types of people in, in a church. There are, uh, there are people that are, that are foundations, and there are people that are warriors, right? And every church needs both. You've got to have the warriors, the people that can run and go and do, but then you also got to have those foundation people, those structural people, the people that have a few more years uh, behind them. So the people that have a few more notches on their belt, the, the, the people that have a lot more wisdom that can hold everything up. If you have a church full of young people, then you're going to have a church that's very immature. If you have a church full of older people, then you're going to have a church that doesn't really um, have the ability to go out and do. But you've got to have that good mix, and they've got to learn to, to listen to one another. The older people have to learn to give wisdom to the younger people and allow the younger people to run and go. And the younger people have to learn to listen to the wisdom of those older ones. And so it's important to, this balance that we've got to have in life when it comes to mentoring and wisdom. The third thing that Naomi did is Naomi was blessed, but she was blessed through Ruth. Listen, if it hadn't been for Ruth, Naomi would have stayed bitter her whole life. Naomi would have stayed depressed and discouraged. Listen, she was already poor. She had lost everything when her husband died and her boys died. That was her financial. Um, that was that was her financial life. It was all gone. She had nothing. If it wasn't for her pouring into Ruth, she would have stayed penniless and bitter the rest of her life. But because she poured into Ruth, here's what happens. She pours into Ruth and she helps Ruth find Boaz. And Boaz was this guy that was. Um, a wealthy guy but Boaz was a relative of Naomi's and Boaz ended up coming in and marrying Ruth and redeeming their family and their land and everything that they had and so now all of a sudden uh, Ruth and Boaz are uh, able to help and bless Naomi back and so here's what Ruth chapter 4 verses 13 says it says so Boaz took Ruth into his home and she became his wife and when he slept with her the Lord enabled her to become pregnant and she gave birth to a son The women of the town, listen to this. Ruth had the baby, right? Ruth had the baby. Look who the women of the town are going to talk to. The women of the town said to Naomi, praise the Lord for uh, who has now provided a redeemer for your family. May this child be famous in Israel. May he restore your youth and care for you in your old age. For he is the son of your daughter-in-law who loves you and has been better to you than seven sons. Let me pause there. I'm going to go to verse 16. But let me pause there. Isn't it interesting that Naomi, in her loss, in death, in uh, depression, in discouragement, decides to pick herself up a little bit and pour into the life of Ruth. And then what happens? Ruth's life gets transformed, right? One little moment of wisdom, one little piece of advice, and Ruth's life is transformed. Ruth has a baby, and everybody says that baby will bring life back to Naomi. I think it's so cool how God does that. That when I pour into someone else, I gain not only purpose, but I gain life out of that situation. Verse 16 says, Naomi took the baby and cuddled him to her breast, and she cared for him as if he were her own. The neighbor women said, now at last Naomi has a son again. And this next part is huge. Listen to what it says. And they named him Obed, and he became the father of Jesse and the grandfather of David. Now, if you don't know the Old Testament, David is a pretty important character in the Old Testament, right? Right? You've heard of the story of David and Goliath. Everybody, uh, people that don't go to church have heard the story of David and Goliath. We use it in sports every year during March Madness. Um, and, and so you get got the story of David and Goliath. That's David, who they're talking about. David would end up becoming the king of Israel. And guess who's in the lineage of David in the New Testament? Jesus. Naomi had a huge part to play in the history of the world. Why? Because she was depressed and she was bitter and she was lonely and she had been through death and she had lost everything. But she decided even if I don't have anything on the outside, I can give what I do have. And that's a little bit of wisdom. That's a little bit of hope. That's a little bit of help to to a young next generation person, a a young next generation lady. And I can help her find purpose and destiny in her life. And in doing so, she changed the course of the entire world. One small action, one big impact. So let's fast forward. We're going to go to our next, our next mom. Her name is Hannah. Her name is Hannah. Um, and so, so Hannah ha- has an interesting story because Hannah, uh, Naomi had kids, lost them. Hannah never could have kids. Hannah was barren, right? So, so not only is Hannah barren, but she's married to a guy that has another wife. So she's in this whole sister-wives thing. Like they had some kind of Mormon stuff going on apparently, right? Like they got this sister-wife thing, and her sister-wife had a, had a, I almost had a buttload of kids. Um, but then I said it, so that, didn't, that defeated the purpose. Um, yeah, sorry. If you're new today, I'm really sorry again. Um, so Hannah had a, Hannah's sister-wife had a bunch of kids. Hannah had no kids, and her sister-wife made fun of her. The Bible says she was always picking on her. She's like, look at you. I don't know what she said, but, I mean, that's pretty hateful. Like, that, I mean, there's a whole other level of evil to make fun of somebody because they can't have kids. And so, so that's what she was doing over and over again. And so, Hannah just finally has had enough. And she's like, I'm going to God. And, uh, you know, forget you. I'm going to go to God. I'm going to pray. I'm going to seek God. And so, every year, um, her husband and sister wife and herself and her kids, that other lady's kids, they would all go. Uh, to Shiloh, and they would worship God there. They would take a sacrifice. Um, back in the day, you didn't have the opportunity to go every week. You didn't have the opportunity just to pray and ask Jesus to forgive you of your sins. In those days, um, you had to sacrifice an animal, and it was once a year. So you better be good, because you got a whole year to wait. And so um, they sacrificed an the animal. and So they would go make the sacrifice. While they were there, she began to pray. And it says this in verse 9 of 1 Samuel chapter 1. It says, After they had eaten and drunk in Shiloh, Hannah rose... This is a reference to a, a, a Nazarite vow. It, 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 was a, it was a special sect of the Jews um, that, that really, like, they didn't cut their hair. They didn't drink anything. Uh, no alcoholic beverage. As a matter of fact, nothing from the vine. Like, they couldn't even have grape juice or eat grapes. Like, like they were very strict in how they lived their life. Um, and so, so she's saying, man, how, how would you feel like if this was your mom before you're even born She says, my son is going to be a Nazarite. Like, my son's going to be the strictest of the strict. I'm like, Mom, really? Like, you put that on me before I was even born? Um, But uh, apparently Samuel doesn't have a problem with it. So she says, uh, I'm going to make him, I'll give him to you, and I'll make sure he does this vow. In verse 12, it says, as she continued praying before the Lord, Eli, the priest, observed her mouth. Hannah was speaking in her heart, only her lips moved and her voice was not heard. In other words, she's got this prayer coming from deep inside, and it's such a deep prayer that she can't even vocalize it, but her mouth is still still moving. Uh, Therefore, Eli took her to be a drunken woman. And Eli said to her, how long will you go on being drunk? Put your wine away from you. Now, that's a whole other message for a whole other day. The fact that Eli thought that a drunk person was in the temple because in those days, his son's his sons were so jacked up that they were getting women drunk and, and um, doing vulgar things. And they were supposed to be the priests of the Lord. So there's this toxic culture in the church at that time where they th- Eli thinks it's fairly normal for someone to be drunk in church. And he's trying to tell her to stop doing it. That's a whole other message, but it, I think it's really good. And it's also good to see the culture of the day. But Hannah answered, no, my Lord, I'm not. Um, I'm a woman troubled in spirit. I have drunk neither wine nor strong drink, but I have been pouring out my soul before the Lord. Do not regard your servant as a worthless woman, for all along I have been speaking out of my great anxiety and vexation. Then Eli answered, go in peace, and the God of Israel grant you your petition that you have made to him. Some some people, um, some scholars feel like when Eli said that, he didn't even mean it. They say the wording there is almost like he said, All right, yeah, yeah, go ahead. Just trying to get her out of the temple because he probably thought she was weird. And it says, Go in peace. May God you know, grant your petition. Verse 18 And she said, Let your servant find favor in your eyes. Then the woman went her way and ate, and her face was no longer sad. They rose early the next morning and worshiped before the Lord, and they went back to the house at Ramah, and Elkanah knew, his, knew Hannah, his wife, and the Lord remembered her. And in due time, Hannah conceived and bore a son, and she called his name Samuel, for she said, I have, um, I have asked for him from the Lord. A couple of things I want you to notice about, about Hannah's life that I feel like, as moms, that you can implement into your life. Whether you're a a biological mother or whether you're a spiritual mother or you have a desire to be a mother, whatever the case is, here's some things that you can implement into your life right now, today. Number one, Hannah prayed. Hannah prayed. The Bible says she stopped doing everything else and she went and she prayed. She found a spot that she could pray and she could talk to God. Um, One of the greatest examples you can ever give your kids or the greatest examples you can ever give the next generation is to pray in front of your children. Pray in front of the next generation. Pray in front of those people that are around you. This is huge. And some people say, yeah, but Gabriel, you don't understand. I just, I don't like to pray out loud in front of people. I get it. I 100% get it. But if they never see you and they never hear you, how are they going to understand how to do it? You got to learn how to pray in front of folks. My mother was, uh, was one of the best at this when I was growing up. Both of my parents prayed um, and, and they found their own private time to pray. But my mom, I remember one time, um, I remember going upstairs. We had, the, we had this upstairs area and, and a little living space outside of where her bedroom was. And, and that's where I had, you know, my Nintendo or whatever it was. And so I remember as a kid sitting up there playing, and she went in her room and closed her door. And I could hear my mom praying in that other room. I could hear her praying in the other room. And, and, and I feel like that's important because that impacted my life. To know that my mom is taking the time to pray and she's seeking God and she wasn't quiet, right? Like, because she wasn't quiet, I knew what she was praying about. I knew when she was praying for me. I knew when I had done something stupid. Because my mom was praying. She was talking to Jesus about it and I could hear it, right? Like she wasn't hiding it at all. And that brings me to my second thing that Hannah did. Not only did she pray, but she poured out her soul. I love that. She's not just in there saying some nice little cutesy prayer. She's in there. My mom was pouring out her. I could hear her crying and weeping. I could hear my mom worshiping. I could hear my mom dumping everything out that she had before the Lord. And one of the things that impacted my life is it showed me that it's, it's valid to go to God and not just pray a religious um, ritual, not just go through the motions, but to go to God and dump everything out before him. So years later, whenever, whenever Perry and I found ourselves in an awkward place in church where, where the pastor was gone and a new pastor was coming in and the new pastor didn't want anybody from the old staff to be a part of the church anymore. And Perry and I are trying to figure out our life. She had just gotten a teaching job and now we've got this, this, this not a firing, but a, hey, you need to go find something else kind of situation. And, and I remember nights go into the other bedroom in our single-wide trailer, and I could remember my mom pouring out her heart when I was a kid, and so it made it very easy for me to go into another room and begin to dump out my heart before the Lord. Why? Because I had a good example of someone else doing that. One of the things we do here at our church is, after every service, we want to have people down front to help you pray, that if you need prayer for anything, we want to pray with you. One of the reasons we do that is whenever I first started this church, um, it, the, people didn't do that. Like our church, people didn't do that. We had people that came from a lot of different backgrounds, and the backgrounds they came from, that's not something that was very common to them. And, and so it was a struggle to get that kind of momentum going. But the reason I wanted to do it, because I remember as a kid going to church, and after church was over, after the message had been preached, I remember men and women going down to the front and pouring out their hearts to God. And it wasn't a, a, a thing of... Look at me. It was a thing of, I am desperate for God to move in my life, and I'm going to go dump everything out that I have. And I remember other men and women coming alongside them and praying for them and putting their arms around them and helping them. So that's why we do that. The Bible says in Psalm 62, 8, it says, trust in him at all times, O people, pour out your heart before him. God is a refuge for us. The third thing Hannah did is she was patient. In verse 20, it says, in due time, she conceived. Notice it doesn't say she conceived and in due time she had the baby. That would make a lot of sense. It's a nine-month process. So, yes, you have to be patient. But it doesn't say that. It says in due time she conceived. So there was a passage of time from the point where she prayed the prayer to the point that she conceived that she had to learn to be patient. And patience is one of those things that every kid and especially our next generation comes up, coming up, has to learn to have, is patience. And she had patience. And then the fourth thing that she did is she fulfilled her promise. She said, God, if you give me a baby, I'll give him to you. Now, if it were me, right, if it were me, I don't know if you've ever done that before. You made those promises to God. God, if you get me this job, I will do this. God, if you if you let this girl finally like me, that's probably what Cam was praying about. Maggie, God, if she'll just like me one time, you know? If you'll do that, right? And, and, and so so we get these, we get these prayers and we make these promises, and then we don't fulfill the promise, right? Hannah makes a huge promise. God, I will give you my child. I will give you my child. And then she fulfilled the promise. The Bible, says, the Bible says that later on, she gave her child, after he was weaned, she took the little boy to the temple and told Eli, I'm the woman that you thought was crazy, and here's my son, and I'm giving him to you. Take care of him. And then she went home. The Bible says she came back once a year. Once a year, she would come back to visit her kid at the temple when she worshiped, And she would bring him a little robe. Every year she would make him a new robe. And she would bring it to him. Now can you imagine? Moms, can you imagine leaving your kid? Leaving your kid? Now some of you guys are like, yes. Yes, I can imagine. I know how that. Yes, I would leave this one. Not all of them, but there's one of them. I would kick out of the house real quick, right? Can I just tell you one thing, guys? I'm not Eli. Don't bring me your kids. Right. I got enough to deal with. She was, she left her kid with Eli he, and, and Samuel ended up growing up to be an incredible man of God. As a matter of fact, Samuel ended up being the kind of guy that impacted the nation. Samuel led Israel for a number of years. And then when Israel wanted a king, Samuel anointed Saul. And when God rejected Saul, Samuel anointed the next king of Israel. You want to guess who that was? David. It was David. Amazing story! How one woman's prayer—and you know, when when Hannah left, she ended up having five more kids after Samuel. That's wild! It's amazing to see the impact that that prayer made. One of the things I, I want to just mention here, as we're as we're giving examples of people, is is I want I want to mention this. My parents, my mom and my dad, um, had this thing when I was younger about putting me in the presence of God, and we would go to services. We would go to church services in different places or, or whatever, and, and my parents were never satisfied with me just being in the room. They wanted me to be as close to what God was doing as possible. And so if there was a prayer time at the end of the service, guess whose hand was getting grabbed and drugged down to the front? Mine, right? My hand would get dragged, and I would have to go down to the front, and they would go down to the front, and they would find whatever the preacher was, or whoever the guy was, and, or the lady, whoever was ministering at the time, and they would say, come pray for our kid, come pray for our kid, and I was so embarrassed, I was so embarrassed, um, and so I would stand there, and they would pray for me, but that's not even the worst, the worst was we went, we were at a church one time in, um, in Georgia, and, and you may have heard of this guy, his name is Jensen Franklin, I don't know if you ever heard of Jensen, but um, but we were at his church. We were at Jensen's church, and they were having this big pastors' conference. And and so there was these different pastors that were there. Um, there, there was a, a, an amazing guy, um, a couple a couple of really cool guys. But one guy was a, a much older guy, and um, and he ministered for like fifty or sixty years. I mean, he was just a, a, one of those kind of people. And so at the end of the service, everybody like they drug me down, had somebody pray for me, whatever, and then everybody left. Well, there was a meeting. Uh, a dinner for all these pastors after service at this at this house and so my parents went and not only did my parents go but we're sitting there and, and and if you know me you know I'm a very shy person like if I go somewhere without my wife I am super awkward and I will stand against the wall and just hide as long as I can like I'm very shy and so um and so we go to this this party or whatever this this dinner And as we're there, there's this old guy that my dad has listened to for years. And he says, there's this guy. He said, let's go to his table. And I'm going, no, no. Like, I'm probably 17, uh, 18 years old maybe at this time. I can't remember. I was an older teenager. And I was like, there's no way we're going to go interrupt this man's dinner. Like, he is having dinner. We're not going to go up there. And dad and mom were like, yes, we're going. And they grab me, and they walk up. And they were like, Pastor, we just want you to know we really admire you, and you've done a lot, and, and, and you know you really spoke into our lives for a number of years, and we followed your ministry. And this is our son, Gabriel, and he's going to be in the ministry one day, and would you just pray for him right now? And I'm going, please, God, rapture me. You know, like, take me, Lord. And, and it didn't happen. Like, God left me there. And, um, and so I'm there, and this guy stops his meal and prays for me. And then goes right back to eating, and I was so embarrassed. But I would never trade that for anything in the world. It doesn't matter if the guy prayed for me or not. I, I don't care about that. I don't even know what he said. What matters is that my parents had this thing about putting their children in the presence of God. Can I tell you something, moms? Whether you're a spiritual mom or biological mom. You need to grab the next generation and don't be embarrassed about dragging them into the presence of God. Don't be embarrassed about putting them in front of someone that can pray for them, someone that can love them, someone that can speak into their life. The last mom, and this is going to be a combo here mom and grandma, is Eunice and Lois. They got to be from Alabama. I mean, with a name like Eunice, right? She's got to be from Alabama. Um, this is the mother and grandmother of Timothy, and, and I just want to point out a couple of things. Timothy is a, is a guy in the New Testament that we, that we read about a little bit. So Paul, Paul is a New Testament author. He wrote a lot of the New Testament. Paul was a, considered the greatest, uh, missionary ever. Like Paul went all throughout the Roman empire telling people about Jesus until he was killed for his faith. And, um, and what Paul did is Paul dropped guys off. So Paul would take guys with him. He would grab a guy like Timothy or a guy like Titus or Barnabas or John Mark. Or He would grab these different people. And as he traveled, he would start churches. And every time he'd start a church, he'd say, someone's got to pastor it. And I'm not going to pastor it because I'm going to the next town. So Timothy, you stay here. You pastor. I'm out. And so Timothy was there pastoring. And then he dropped Titus off somewhere. And so you'll see in the New Testament where Paul writes letters to Timothy and to Titus because these are young pastors that he's dropped off in these towns. And and so the thing about Timothy is is very interesting um, because we had uh, we had Naomi at first who had lost her husband and lost her kids. And so she has this this spiritual daughter in in Ruth. And then we have Hannah who didn't have any kids, but prayed and sought God like she did and poured out her heart for a kid. and, And then God ended up blessing her. But now we've got Eunice and Lois and they might connect with you, too, because here's the thing about Eunice and Lois. Timothy's dad was a Greek, the Bible says. That's another way of saying he did not believe in Jesus. So Eunice is married to an unbeliever, and she's got this boy. And Eunice's mama, Lois, she's a believer, and Eunice is a believer, and she's got an unmarried, un- un- unbelieving husband, and now she's got this kid. And so the impact is this. Here's something I want you to think about with, with this is, is first of all, I, I want to say this to grandmothers in the room today. There are some grandmothers in the room, and your kids may not serve God, but you got grandbabies. And can I tell you something? You can still have a huge impact on the life of that grandbaby. Right. So don't give up. Don't give up. We, in, in our family, uh, we give our kids to my parents all the time, especially Colt. <laughs> I haven't seen Colt in three days. I don't know what's happening. I know he's with my dad and my mom. I know, I know he's okay. I saw him this morning when he came in, and then I didn't see him again. I still don't see him. I don't even know where he is right now. Grandparents can have a huge impact. And especially if, you, if your kids aren't serving God, but you are, there's still a job you have to do spiritually to speak into the life of those grandkids. So 2 Timothy chapter 1, this is where we first hear about Eunice. Um, 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 5. Paul is writing to Timothy And he says this, I'm reminded of your sincere faith. If you're highlighting today, sincere faith is one you want to highlight. A faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and now I'm sure dwells in you as well. Let me tell you about that that word sincere faith, uh, because here's what it it means. It means um, unhypocritical, it means not a phony, and it means no hidden agenda. So Eunice makes a deposit in the life of Timothy. And here's the first deposit she makes. The first deposit is an unwavering faith. One of the greatest deposits you can make in the life of a child, in the, in the life of someone of the next generation, is a deposit of unwavering faith. We live in a world today where our faith is constantly being blown around by the winds of culture. And I want to tell you, somebody's got to learn how to be a rock and stand up to the wind and the waves and say, I've got faith in Jesus no matter what happens, no matter what the circumstances, no matter what culture says, and they need to set that example for the next generation. They gotta set that example. And that's what Eunice and Lois did. So that was the first deposit. And then there was a second deposit they made. And the second deposit is a foundation of the Word of God. In Second Timothy chapter three. Here's what Paul says to Timothy in verse 15. He says, you have been taught the Holy Scriptures from childhood. There's only one person that could have taught him the Holy Scriptures from childhood. Maybe two, because it certainly wasn't his daddy. His daddy was a Greek. His daddy worshipped Zeus and Apollos and Aphrodite. That's who his daddy worshipped. But his mama and his grandmama worshipped Jesus. And it it says, you have been taught the Holy Scriptures from childhood. And listen to this. And they have given you the wisdom to receive the salvation that comes by trusting in Christ Jesus. There was a deposit of unwavering faith. And there was a deposit of the foundation of God's word. These two two deposits were huge in the life of Timothy. They were huge in the life of Timothy because what they show us is they show us this idea that, that God's word will never return void, the Bible says. One of the greatest things you can do for your kids, and, and, and I hope that I do this for my kids, and if I don't, I've got to do a better job of it. But, but my wife is a great example of giving the kids the word of God. Amen. My mother-in-law is not here today. She's, she's in, in Auburn, Opelika, and, and that's where Pastor Jonathan is, is with his mom. But one of the things my mother-in-law has always done, and, and at first we just kind of teased her a little bit about it. Because no matter what was said or done, she always had a verse to back it up. Y- y- y'all know anybody like that? Like, no matter what's going on, she has a verse. So, like, like, one time Perry is beating me in a game of cards, and I said, Perry cheats. And she goes, no, Perry is blessed and highly favored of the Lord, just like Deuteronomy 28 said. And I was just like, come on, man, for real? You know what I mean? It's like, um, it, but that's how, that's how my mother-in-law is. She always has a verse to back everything up. And like I said, at first it was kind of annoying, but then all of a sudden I started recognizing the fact that, that whenever she went through a hard time, when my father-in-law passed away, what did she do? She quoted scripture the whole time. Yeah. She didn't have to get out her Bible. She was drawing it from her heart because she had this foundation of God's word in her life. So that what the Bible says in Second Timothy 3.15... Uh, it says this, uh, that they had given you the wisdom to receive salvation that comes by trusting in Christ Jesus. She had this trust built up in Christ because she had a deposit of God's word in her heart. What an example. When my kids are in the room, whenever my father-in-law is passing away and my kids walk in and what do they hear? They hear their grandmother not screaming and crying and yelling at God. They hear their grandmother steady quoting scriptures, building a foundation of God's word, making a deposit, not just in the room but in their lives as well so moms what do we need to do today we need to make sure that we've got unwavering faith if you find yourself in a place of wavering in your faith your relationship with jesus isn't what it should be then i want to encourage you today make that right the bible says today is the day of salvation the bible says choose this day who you're going to serve. You don't wait until tomorrow. You don't wait until you can get cleaned up. You don't wait until you can get some stuff together. You choose today. Today's the day I'm going to make my stand. Today's the day I'm going to have unwavering faith. And then we need to make that deposit of God's word in the lives of the next generation. Let me just recap real quick. Naomi was bitter and depressed. But she found life and purpose in providing for somebody else's life and purpose. She was blessed because she made an impact on Ruth's life. And she started the line of David and of Jesus. Hannah was constantly discouraged. She was constantly beat up. She was constantly put down. But she poured out her heart to God. And she fulfilled her promise. And because of that, God gave her an abundance. Her impact was that her son led a nation and anointed kings. And then Eunice and Lois, despite no Christian... Male leadership at home still deposited God's word in an unwavering faith into Timothy. And the impact of that small deposit was the fact that Timothy would go on to find uh, Paul and they would change the Roman Empire with that faith in those scriptures. So what, imp- what impact are you going to have on the next generation? I'm going to end with one verse and then we're going to stand up. Psalm 71, 18 says this. Even when I'm old and gray, do not forsake me, my God, till I declare your power to the next generation, your mighty acts to all who are to come. Notice it doesn't say to my biological children. It just says to the next generation. The psalmist there says, God, don't leave me. Watch over me. Don't let me die until I've made an impact on the next generation. Why don't you stand up with me this morning? These guys are going to sing a song, and and, and what I want to do is I want to pray for moms today. I want to pray for ladies today. When I say moms, I know even though what I said in the beginning, the caveat I put at the beginning, I get it. But we still are going to think biological moms. I I want you to understand something today. I I want you to see that even if you're not a biological mother, you're still a mother to somebody. Sophia Contreras is upstairs leading our kids ministry right now as I speak. And she has an impact on my son's life. She has an impact on my son. I, I don't mind if my son talks to Soph anytime he wants to talk to her because she'll shoot him straight and she'll speak truth to him, she'll say the same thing his mama says, and he won't listen to his mama, but he'll listen to soap. Right? My daughter plays volleyball for the high school, and and her coach is, is Jackie Cox, and Jackie's a believer. I have no problem with the fact that my daughter is under a believer, and I want Jackie to be able to speak into my daughter's life. They're not biologically related, but I want ladies to speak into the lives of my kids. I desire that. My wife is my wife. She's not my kid. But I've told my wife before. She's not here today. Sarah Wilson is is out of town with her. Her brother passed away uh, last year, I think it was, and so she's out of town with her brother's kids today. But Sarah kind of serves as a mom for a lot of us in the room. And I tell my wife all the time, if you need anything, you go to Sarah. Like, you go to Sarah. If there's something you can't tell your mom or something you can't talk to my mom about, you go to Sarah and let Sarah pour into your life. Why do I say that? They're not related, but but every woman in this room has something to give. So here's what I want to do. This may feel a little uncomfortable. But instead of having the prayer team come down today, I'm going to just ask that every mom, every I mean every lady, spiritual mom or not, biological mom, whatever, I want you to come down to the front. I want you to fill up this front area. So do you have to back up some? We're going to fill up this whole front area, ladies. And let me tell you something. You may say, Gabriel, my faith, my faith isn't good today, man. I'm not serving God. I've struggled with my relationship with God. It doesn't matter. I don't care where your faith is. I didn't ask for all the perfect people to come down, right? I just asked for all the ladies to come down. Now, kids and gentlemen, here's what we're going to do. We're going to point our hands towards these ladies today, and we're going to pray for them. We're going to pray for them. As a matter of fact, ladies, here's what I want you to do. I want you to put your hand on the person next to you, and I want you to pray with them. And there may be some ladies in the room right now, you may say, Gabriel, I need need something. I'm struggling in an area. If you're struggling with something this morning, you can reach over, you can whisper to the person next to you, and they'll pray with you today. If you're struggling in your faith today, they're going to pray with you today that you're going to be forgiven, that God's going to cleanse you and wash you, and if you're struggling with your health, they're going to pray with you today. But I want us to pray today and believe for God's impact on your life.